On this episode of Rich and Rock Music Talk, Ryan and Alex discuss the dirge of music of the 90s and explore the conspiracy behind Jimi Hendrix. It's all now. Rip and Rock Music Talk. Wait, what? Casserole? Casserole? Ooh. Delicious. (laughs) Hey, everybody. It's Ryan. I'm back uh, uh, this, this time around to review with Alex two albums um, <laughs> in addition to uh, the Flaming Lips album that I was not a part of that hopefully you guys took a lot of uh, information from a lot of insight into the psyche of Flaming Lips um, and Alex is here say hey Alex <laughs> hey he's still here um, but I just showed up so uh, which album do you want to talk about first Alex <laughs> in what way uh, we could have a very well thought out uh, conversation about it. Okay. Well, <laughs> sure. Let's let's talk about that. So the dismember the dismemberment plan is terrified by the dismemberment plan is the second album they released back in 1997. You might be wondering why are we reviewing an album from the 90s? It's simple because there's only like six good albums from the 90s, so we have to cover all of them at some point. What are the other albums that are good from the 90s? Um, well, the Space Jam soundtrack. Space Jam soundtrack. Godzilla soundtrack. Well, uh, the first Rage Against the Machine album. Alright, so we're at three. <laughs> uh, whatever that Spice Girls album was. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, wait, no, I forgot about the Dismemberment Plan. So we're at five. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple other good ones, I think. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm sure Bismarcky came out with an album tonight. <laughs> We'll just count that one, maybe. <laughs> Green Day's Dookie was pretty good. That was a 90s album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I. <laughs> Ooh. Have you not heard that album either? <laughs> no, I've listened to Dookie. That was before they were writing operas and making three albums in one year and just being really a shitty band. Not just an opera, but also a musical. Or, yeah, whatever it is. No, I think they also wrote an opera. I don't know. Pinkerton came out in the 90s. Ooh, yeah. That's a good album. The only people that don't like Pinkerton are the ones that made it. Yeah, which is very bizarre. It's like, we don't like the good music we made. Um, But yeah, so this album is a sort of... I I hate using the term post-hardcore. I think like any post-genre is just kind of stupid. Because I don't understand what the indication is by post. Like it happened after the genre happened or something. What about pre? Do you like pre-punk and pre-folk? Is, is that a genre too? Uh, I don't think pre-folk is, but pre-punk is. What about pre-funk? Is there pre-funk? Yeah, that's, well, technically that's like R&B and oh. doo-wop. But yeah, okay. it's considered pre, pre-funk. Could you like m- invent the name of a genre that hasn't been made yet and be like pre-that? Yes, we are pre... Psychopia. Ooh. What's Psychopia? Oh, it's the genre that's going to be invented in the year 3132. Duh. It'd be inspired by us. (laughs) You're welcome. Psychopia fans of the future. But I guess I'll comment that I really like this album. In the era of the 90s when we were overloaded with a dirge of new metal and boy bands... This is a daring album that tried to do something a little bit different. Very awkward music, kind of punky, hardcore-ish, or post-punk or post-hardcore, whatever the hell. Um, 
combined with lyrics that Travis Morrison, um, he doesn't really so much sing as he just kind of talks over the album, but his talking works. It's a nice combination of hard-hitting music and a guy just ranting about stuff that happened in his life, such as the song Ice of Boston where he pours champagne all over himself and then his mom calls. That's a Ooh. funny one. <laughs> uh, um, I When I was listening to um, this album, I also listened to the Disbarment Plans uh, album, their last effort called Change, or Changes. I think it was Change. Yeah, Change. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And I definitely got a kind of a... Uh, it vaguely reminded me of... Uh, the band Interpol, the guy, the singer's, uh, his choices, where he kind of like sing talks over it. Sure. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Like, oh, that's an interesting choice for the kind of music that's being played at the moment. And it was very aggressive sounding, though apparently less aggressive than some of their other efforts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's interesting listening to the two. Um, because change is very mellow. It's a little funky, um, but the dismemberment plan is terrified. It sounds like they're young and they're angry. And they've got a point to prove. They are very angry. Very awkwardly. Yeah, there's a, a rawness to it. Um, almost an innocence, I would say, which is, I'm not, I don't know if I really ever like to use that word describing music, but there's sort of an innocence to it where it just sounds like a bunch of friends just doing whatever the hell they want, not caring if they ever get famous, and... In one of their stepdad's garage. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a It definitely has a we're gonna do whatever the hell we want kind of vibe, which existed in the 90s, but it was very, very uh, subdued and hidden. Unless uh, you're in a hardcore band. Eh, see, see where this is going? Because they're post-hardcore? Yes. Oh, I guess. So, that means that they're still ties to their hearts, like hardcore, and how like we don't care, but they can move beyond it by playing more more chords. Oh, okay, if I can comment on a total aside, is it just me or are the '90s probably the worst decade of music? Uh, I disagree. I think the '80s, well, songs from the '80s with saxophones in them were the worst. <laughs> I don't know, I thought there was a lot of fun, like, uh, fun stuff in the 80s. Early 80s, it was sort of the dying down of the 70s, like the 70s being squashed by the big record companies, and the 90s was just sort of like the big record companies totally overblown and pushing their schlock. Um, back then when we, you really didn't have the internet and Napster was just an infant, you couldn't just find everything online, so it was, the good stuff got way buried. Whereas opposed, like, in the 70s, it felt like record companies would just give a deal to every band, no matter what stupid shit they were putting out. They're like, you have a 50-minute song that has yodeling in it and a pan flute? Eh, sure, here's $20,000. Go record something. <laughs> Good point. Actually, the early 2000s, the first decade, um, that music from then kind of sucked for the most part. <laughs> Maybe like the early 2000s, yeah. Except for like, Stankonia. Synthesizers made a huge comeback, and they still haven't left. They're way more prominent now. It's like everyone forgot how to play instruments, except yeah. for synthesizers. But they can figure out how to plug things in and turn dials. <laughs> <laughs> They're like monkeys. You know what instrument really made a comeback in like the 
early to mid 2000s that really pissed me off was the tambourine. It felt like in every indie album there was some dill hole with a tambourine. Like uh, I can't think of any. Do you have like any? every Shin song ever. Oh yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the Shins. Neither am I. They're way overhyped, and their lyrics are stupidly pretentious versus the music they play. Kind of like uh, One Direction. Yes, exactly like One Direction. <laughs> Only I guess the Shins are less of a boy band, more of an actual band. But yeah. I mean, tomato, tomato. Their fans are just as unpleasant. <laughs> Their fans are the same people. <laughs> That's right, people. If you like the shins, you like One Direction. There's a fun thing about uh, the, <laughs> the Dismemberment Plan is Terrified since we're talking about that album. Um, you know, shorter, more aggressive songs, except for the last track, Respect is Due, which is a slow, ballady kind of hit, and it's 12 minutes long all of a sudden. Like, I was listening to this album. I have listened to this album many times. I was listening to it uh, this morning on my drive to my work and um i listened to the song i'm like oh it's been going on for a while it must have been like four minutes already and then i looked and it had been 10 <laughs> like oh because <laughs> i had forgotten that this track was on there <laughs> it's a good track it's just i was like holy shit it just goes on i haven't gotten to it yet don't ruin it for me <laughs> spoilers will blow you away <laughs> um do you want to play them a little clip of it yeah, we can play a little clip of Respect is Due. Well, I only call you darling Cause I know how much it bugs you They do claim that they're going to be releasing a new album at some point soon. Ooh, that's cool. One thing I really liked was, even though it was sort of, uh punky hardcore or post or whatever stupid thing um or as wikipedia says post-punk revival which apparently is a genre i thought revival was like more like gospel-y well it's post-punk revival so after it's the revive it's either the revival of punk post-punk or it's the revival of post-punk or it's post-punk revival or post-revival punk Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. Is there is there uh, post gospel? Uh, there is. There's actually a band called Spiritualized, and uh, the main songwriter he combines gospel with like alternative rock and like ballads, and it's it works. But it's definitely post gospel. Do you think Magma is post gospel? Yeah, actually, and uh, some of the some of David Bowie's tracks like Young America. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. That one train song. I won't care if you don't hear. <laughs> that's, that's a true statement. But one this, thing I, uh, anyway, what I was going to say, though, is um, the drum work on this album is very, I think it's very well done, considering that this is very chaotic music. You usually get kind of a lot of smacking that snare drum for all it's worth, but he does a lot of fun little fun little uh, rhythms that I didn't initially expect and I was very pleasantly surprised by that yeah I agree actually I think the uh, the guitarists are the ones that are doing the most uh, oh no they're not keeping it together at all they're like on <laughs> cocaine it seems like they're trying like they're listening to 
Trout Mask replica and trying to play along at the same time. <laughs> but then they just kind of, you know, whatever. We'll just we'll just sing over it. <laughs> that, some of the songs do have that kind of vibe. Like uh, Academy Award, the fourth track has this uh, almost like a vibe of. I was just gonna bring that up. <laughs> it's like my it's God, like, this they're just like Beefheart Junior. And they went, I just sing over. Who cares? <laughs> the best bad shit. Nope, not anymore. Nope. Now the song is called Academy Award. Would you recommend the, the dismemberment plan is terrified to our listeners? If you guys are into punk, hardcore, post-punk, post-punk revival, revival punk, or post-revival, or if you guys like weird psychedelic music, definitely pick up the dismemberment plan is terrified if you haven't already. It's been around for about 15 years. What are you waiting for? I would be even more general. I think this is just a good album to pick up for anyone that likes rock music. Definitely if you're more on the heavier side, you'll like it more. But it's not screamy or shouty or that angry. The music's a little um, abrasive. It's not something you'd be embarrassed to play in front of your parents. Yeah, it's like if you grew up listening to Blink-182 and you really like Blink-182, but you want something that sounds (laughs) like like Blink-182 is like awesome brother that, that likes to smoke cigarettes and skateboard definitely pick up the album the dismember plan is terrified definitely and if you have more sophisticated tastes pick up their other album change that i listened to which i also enjoyed which which is definitely more refined of an album yeah so uh Jimi Hendrix is a fictitious musician that was created by a record label to uh, convince young young black teenagers to get into rock music. Is that right? Um, that is about as accurate as you can get. And this fictitious individual, Jimi Hendrix, has released a new album. Um, I guess I don't know who's actually on this album, and it's called "People, Hell, and Angels." This is the only way I can explain an individual that died in 1970 has released an album of new material. No, no, they, they found it. It was hidden under his bed. And the they just kind of got around to looking. In the meantime, they've slapped his image on t-shirts, posters, lunchboxes, iPods, iPads, and toilet Muppets. seat covers, Muppets, to convince people to keep buying guitars and not listen to synthesizer music. Yeah, instead of listening to, to wah pedals. Wah, wah, wah. So. <laughs> what is this? His seventh album? Uh, released after he's been dead? Uh, in general. It's technically the fourth Jimi Hendrix experience album? Technically, I think. Even though he's been dead forever. Like, they re- what? They released three albums, then they broke up. Yeah. So this is. This would have theoretically been the. Unless this was. I don't know what yeah this would have been techni- i think technically the fourth Jimi hendrix experience album it would have been the follow-up to electric ladyland um although this isn't like filled with like 
rarities and like uh, B-side songs? No, this is no. supposed to be an actual studio song? Yeah, this is actually supposed to have been a studio release. Uh, maybe not in this exact track listing or anything to that extent. Um, you may notice that some of these songs have been released before on on the post postmus posthumous however you pronounce that word posthumous posthumous Jimi Hendrix releases, um, especially including like Easy Rider would be one, the long jam at the end of this album, um, but. A lot of those al- those tracks that you've heard before were released by an individual who would edit out the actual musicians on the recording and then overdub them with people that never even met Jimi Hendrix. So there's <laughs> a lot of controversy regarding them. So this is a much more original, or mu- they are much more original versions of the songs. Uh, most of them were just needed some final touch-ups, a lot of just mastering and mixing, and they were pretty much good to go. Jimi Hendrix is notorious for being kind of a perfectionist in that way, so... This is pretty much as close as you're ever going to get to new Jimi Hendrix material. But yeah, um, so what did you think of People, Hell, and Angels? Well, you really can't go wrong with Jimi Hendrix. Um, I did enjoy the album, although I was kind of hesitant. You know, like you're kind of hesitant when you listen to that new Tupac album uh, (laughs) of its authenticity. But... um, you just ignore the fact that he's been dead for about 43 years it's pretty good yeah definitely i mean he he played guitar well he knew his his major and minor keys he knew how to use a wah pedal and sing at the same time he definitely didn't know how to use a wah pedal yeah (laughs) (laughs) um actually one of my uh one of the best songs on this album was uh, a song that I don't think he wrote. I think he was just playing along with them. Like it was originally an R&B song. He just kind of improved it. And that was Mojo Man. Did you listen to that? I did. Yeah. Not my favorite song on there, but it was definitely a good song. But let's like l- let's listen to a little of Mojo Man. Yeah. I would say though, my favorite track is uh, "Let Me Move You." That was just oh, a ruckusy good time. That was, that was the taste, <laughs> as the young kids like to to describe things. <laughs> that was the taste. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on here. I was when I put the album in, I was kind of expecting it to be just a bunch of crap that wasn't really done. They went out, oh, people will buy this, and I was surprised. <laughs> Somebody. Put in like like turned on the the reel to reel that they recorded like some demos on and just held up a, a recorder to it <laughs> called it a day it's like oh yeah that's good enough I guess yeah you kind of figure that especially when you're releasing a Jimi Hendrix album in 2013 yeah I was kind of expecting like random like tracks where like the band's talking and like oh this is the third take of this song this is gonna be great. Or alternate takes, which I mean are cool, but like for studio albums, they're not really appropriate. Maybe for like extended versions mm-hmm. or jazz albums, that seems to, to work out the best. But whoever produced this album, I don't know how I feel about you. I want to get into your brain and figure out what you're think, what you were possibly thinking, <laughs> releasing this album. 
Eddie Kramer is the one who did the uh, um, did the production for this for the release at this point. I don't know if he was there when they were originally recording it. I think he was though, which actually adds a lot of favor to this album as opposed to some of those earlier post-death releases where it was someone who had no relationship to him, just kind of had access to the material somehow. And I mean, this is my understanding of it. Had access to the material and just kind of went, eh, fuck it. I'm going to overdub everything. I'll even um, overdub Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> you are now Kimmy Flenricks. Flenricks. <laughs> uh, Although, you know about the Jimi Hendrix biopic they're trying to make, right? They're making they a movie? Yeah, well, it's been in like the process of being made for like what, three years now, but they don't have the rights to playing any of his music for his biopic. <laughs> um, I think I forget who was supposed to play him, but he kind of didn't look like Jimi Hendrix at all. But oh, it was a uh, Andre three thousand, who I guess kind of looks like Jimi Hendrix. We put an afro on him. Um, uh, what? But I I think they couldn't spell his name like use his traditional name and I believe they covered that in a a little bit in 30 Rock you know with a I was supposed to be a Janice Joplin biopic yeah but they could use the name so it was Janie Jorp Jump right so <laughs> Kimmy Hembricks will go play songs like Purple Phase <laughs> Foxy Gravy He's gonna play at a festival called Woodblock. <laughs> that's that's too close. Uh, good, good, good stock. Because he was making soup, and I, someone tasted the soup and they went, "Hmm, that's good stock." Now play me a couple songs. All play right. me the Canadian national anthem. Now, 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 good. And he can't play guitar legally. He guitar. plays bongos. <laughs> bongos for the accordion. He plays a uh, Norwegian fortress magic. <laughs> he just yodels for two hours, guys. That's how this movie's gonna end up. Andre 3000 is gonna be yodeling at you. So it's really a biopic of uh, Focus. Yeah. And their song Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> And how he inspires the guys that wrote that song in the Gata de Vida. <laughs> <laughs> this could have easily come out in like 60, 68 or 69 or whenever it would have come out. It would have been a perfectly acceptable release. It would have flowed right easily with all his other stuff. And I think it was also a nice logical follow-up to uh, what was it? Electric Ladyland was the album before it. Yeah, and if they had released it back then... Such songs as Hear My Train A Comin' would be in our canon. Definitely. Or I think Hey Gypsy Boy would have also been a big hit. Oh yeah. Every 12-year-old at high school talent shows, or I guess like 14-year-old, would be playing it and be like, yeah, check me out. I know Hey Gypsy Boy. I know how to play this song a little bit. But they would sound terrible because they don't practice enough. It reminds me of 
I was at the Geneva Swedish Days this summer, and there was like a band, like a high school band, and they were covering Wish You Were Here, and it was probably the most confusing thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) It was like everyone was in a different time signature or something. (laughs) The drummer was just like going crazy. (laughs) Well, we sound like like crap, so you might as well just... Go crazy, animal! <laughs> Did you listen to the version with the twenty-minute jam at the end of it? Of Hey Gypsy Boy? No, uh, the Jimi Hendrix album. Oh, with the uh, extra tracks? Yeah, the Easy Rider MLK jam, also I dubbed did. Captain Coconut. I did not listen to the extended version. I can only afford the regular version. <laughs> I was um, skeptical with first some with them tacking on a twenty-minute bonus track. But it's really good. And uh, should it have been the first track? I mean, it could have just been like an EP on its own. It would have been totally acceptable. Like, put that on a uh, uh, a vinyl. Put it on as a record store record store day exclusive. You could have pulled that off, no problem. It's if really we, good. If we produced this album, it would have been a little bit better, don't you think? If we produced it, yeah. How would have we produced it differently to make it better? Um. It would have included a free EP <laughs> of that song. And maybe a t-shirt. Oh, wait, I totally bought the one with the t-shirt. Did you buy the one with the t-shirt? I did. See, so you could, a, a young black man suckered into more Jimi Hendrix memorabilia. <laughs> hey, this is my first Jimi Hendrix anything. <laughs> Him and Bob Marley, I feel like most people that have like a Bob Marley or Jimi Hendrix anything know maybe three songs by the musician. Oh my god, don't even get me started on Bob Marley. Like, you people that have like a, one of those Bob Marley tapestries or whatever they're called. Well, it's like, hey, what's your favorite Bob Marley song? Oh, you know, uh... No uh, Woman, No Cry. Jammin', man. It's a good one. Oh, how many albums did Bob Marley make in his lifetime? Uh, just the one. Just the greatest hits album. That was it, right? <laughs> my favorite Bob Marley album is Greatest Hits. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So if you guys don't listen to Bob Marley, like, seriously, then what do you do? And if you have, uh, like a, a Bob Marley tapestry or you... Yeah, you either throw it out or you, you learn some Marley. That's it. This is an ultimatum. <laughs> you have 24 hours to change. Actually, I'm looking it over. I'm not 100% sure. Is this supposed to be actually like a Jimi Hendrix Experience album or a Band of Gypsies album? Because I'm looking, it's basically the Band of Gypsies lineup. It's Hendrix, Billy Cox, Buddy Miles on People, Hell, and Angels versus their uh, the Experience lineup, which was Noel, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. You're going to be really mad at me, but I didn't know there was a difference. You didn't know the... That's okay. I barely know there's a difference. So, so he was in two bands? Theoretically, he's in two bands. Or was in two bands, yeah. He was in... There was Jimi Hendrix Experience, which was um, Are You Experienced, Axis, Boldless, Love, and then Electric Ladyland. Yeah, the good ones. No, but then um, he released uh, Band of Gypsies, which is that live album. And um, that's actually... T- technically, that's not even Jimi Hendrix Experience. That's technically Band of Gypsies. I barely know anything about Jimi Hendrix, but this is the little I do know, is that at Woodstock, he introduces the band as Band of Gypsies. And so that was because he was like, oh, this is a new band. And it was supposed, it was different. Oh my gosh. 
What has he done? Made a second band that no one caught on to. <laughs> yeah, until now. <laughs> but I'm looking, and um, it looks like Band of Gypsies, um, it's a live album, and it's recorded over a couple nights, and some of the tracks they're playing from those nights are album songs that are on People, Hell, and Angel. So they played stuff like Easy Rider, Earth Blues, uh, Bleeding Heart? Bleeding Heart. So there's stuff from Band of Gypsies that ended up legitimately just being on this album as a, re- a studio recording as opposed to a live performance. So it was live first, and then they kind of made it to studio. Okay. Well, there are live versions of it Band that exist Band. somewhere. I mean, these are studio recordings that we're listening to. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So. I disagree with it. I think <laughs> Jimi Hendrix shouldn't have died while choking on his own vomit, but... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> that is... <laughs> because of him, now we gotta like scrounge around for Jimi Hendrix scraps. So thanks. I don't think there's really anything else like to release. I mean, they can. There's probably some reels of live performances floating around, and that's probably all they can release. But I'm. It's pretty much bottom of the barrel at this point. Unless they can release one of those albums that's like Foxy Lady, False Start, and for six tracks. Then, like some random live recording that he was playing at but it's like the worst quality you could possibly imagine exactly you can hear the audience and that's it and the bass drum and <laughs> it's overpowering <laughs> <laughs> yeah woo! that's the end of it and then they overdub a Jimi hendrix interview over that performance uh, yeah i you know i really dig music and it uh really really sets my soul free you know in a is it wait he was he's from new york right then why did he spend all his time in england because he thought Isn't it like a step down <laughs> he's actually originally from washington seattle oh, wow he just felt the rain matched his already uh, something rain something there's a rain joke in there somewhere <laughs> he had to wear boots all the time because of all the rain yeah that's it you know how I wish was a little bit more like uh, Jimi Hendrix? Who? Prince. Really? Prince needs to be like someone else? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, actually, I wish that they would go on tour together. That would be cool. Oh, and then they awesome. play side by side. They do that weird kind of thing where they do like a little solo and then they like hand it off to the other one. Mm-hmm. That would be so cool. You know, you mentioned that you wish Jimi Hendrix hadn't died, and I think that's a good statement to make. But at the same time... <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the, thing, the thing I think about, though, is, like, imagine if he didn't die, though. Um, so, like, he would have his drug addictions, he'd go in and out of rehab, and then, like, by the mid-80s, you know, he'd be, like, really sobered up, and he released his first album when he was totally sober, and it would just blow really badly. Be all, like, electronica or just like pop music and he wouldn't he release would, any good albums after that it'd be like this, this is my, this is my Zoba music but then he would uh he would show up for a guest solo on led zeppelin celebration day or like a weezer song or he ended up on like a flaming lips record or something that would have been awesome <laughs> yeah uh, i don't know <laughs> he had a very short musical career i mean from 1967 to 1970, he would had like a tiny little window of blowing everything up, and then he blew up. He just kind of showed up and went, 
fuck everything, and then died. Yep. At the tender age of 25. Not even, well, 27. Oh, at the tender age of 27. For a musical career, considering how big and popular he is, he wasn't really performing and around that long. That's just selfish. Shame on you, Jimmy. We really wanted your albums where you were sober and gravely disappointing. I really wanted to see your comeback tour. The third comeback tour. The third comeback tour. <laughs> he plays fire at like half speed. There's 50 cents on top of that. Rick Wakeman could be like doing a couple solos. Rick Wakeman. For those listeners out there that don't know who Rick Wakeman is, just look it up on YouTube. Just watch a live video. He has like 10 pianos and he wears a cape. <laughs> I was, if you weren't going to say it, I was going to say it. Is he more? <laughs> he's, like, he's like the cooler version of Yanni. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. Yes, he's cooler than Yanni. That's a tough decision to make. Rick Yanni. Wakeman wrote Heart of the Sunrise. He's cooler than Yanni. Yeah, but Yanni has all that Yanni-ness. That's true. He does have that sweet mustache. I mean, it, to be fair, being cooler than either Rick Wakeman or Yanni is not particularly difficult. Yes, but it's incredibly difficult at the same time. <laughs> you could have like a full collection of Pokemon cards and you could still potentially be cooler than both Rick Wakeman and Yanni. Or not nearly as cool as Rick Wakeman or Yanni. <laughs> Think about it. It's the it's the Yanni Wakeman paradox. <laughs> oh God, that's quantum mechanics, right there, listeners. <laughs> so, would you recommend people Helen Angels to the listeners? Uh, I do recommend it for a once over. Um, it's not one of those timeless albums, but it's good for a little uh, farewell to Jimi Hendrix, who recently passed away forty three years ago. <laughs> Well, and since I'm of the belief that Jimi Hendrix actually never was real, and <laughs> he's just a marketing gimmick um, to uh, <laughs> get those niche markets that they haven't tapped into, I would wholeheartedly recommend People, Hell, and Angels. If you are a individual who grew up with Jimi Hendrix when he was actually alive, then you'll really get a kick out of it. If he ever was alive. If he was alive, which, you know, the debate's still out there. You know, like, is Elvis really dead? I asked, was Jimi Hendrix really alive? I don't know. Um, it was all staged. All those photos were staged. Um, they just gave a random person a guitar and went, just pose around a couple of times and we'll make all the music for you. Uh, but I think it's a really good album. I was thoroughly entertained. Some great tracks. You know, Earth Blues is great. Let Me Move You is great. Uh... Which one did you say, Mojo Man? Yes. Mojo Man's on. I think, I don't recall a bad track on here. I don't recall anything that was earth-shattering or revolutionary. But at the same time, you're also talking material that was released in 19, was recorded, not released, recorded in 1968. So, being fair that to some extent it's a little bit dated. Yet, eternal. Yeah, exactly. So, I would say, for anyone that enjoys rock music definite purchase i would say i'd say uh just stream it stream it off of like youtube or soundcloud so before we left i wanted to mention well actually by the time we put this out it's gonna be long over but 
In two days, April 20th is going to be Record Store Day. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I encourage you to go out and buy some records. Uh, or if you, it, since you're going to be listening to this in the future, I hope you went out and bought some records. Yeah. 